Welcome to Grief Recovery Now podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Gorzella, your grief recovery specialist. This podcast is being produced just for you, someone who has been challenged and heartbroken over a significant and devastating loss, death, divorce, sudden life change, or the many other ways we experience grief. You will be taken on a conversational journey with me and some special guests who have come out the other side of grief and committed to small, powerful, and courageous steps that made all the difference in their lives for the better. I want to instill in you on what is possible, that joy, hope, peace, and happiness is closer than you think. While your life is forever changed, you can have a beautiful new outlook on your relationships and loss with a sense of completion that goes deep in your soul. Ready, set, now. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Charlene Gorzella here, your host today and every podcast for the Grief Recovery Now podcast. So happy you're here today. I always like to start with um, a sense of gratitude and appreciation for all our listeners here today, tomorrow, whenever you listen to it. And I'm just so grounded in the fact that this Grief Recovery Now podcast is just part of this movement of grief recovery. My goal here is to give hope to you that you can get to the other side of grief. And there's a lot that goes with it. So, so before the show, usually I talk, I, I talk about something I've experienced before or a myth about grief or just a, my point of view on something or an, on an experience I recently had. And today I live in West Los Angeles and I take my dog out every morning. And so we go underneath this viaduct and I've talked about something like this before and there's homeless that live underneath there. Well, in the last few months, there's this one structure that looked like a home. They had bamboo walls. They had a, a nice lane outside an outside porch it was really well done. And they had a piece of scripture about Jesus in it. And lately I've noticed it's been abandoned. And so this morning I was running back and walking with my dog. All of a sudden I saw a woman, a young woman, probably in her late twenties, early thirties, and a young man, probably in his late twenties or maybe even mid twenties. And I stopped and talked to him. I said, Oh, what's, what's happening? What are you guys doing? And they said, well, my friend just moved from here. And he told me that I could stay there if I'd like. And I said, what happened to your friend? He was accepted into housing. So this homeless guy got into some housing and I asked him and I'm on the board of directors of a place called Share. And we do, um, we help people with recovery of all kinds, emotional addictions, chemical dependencies, anything you can think of. And they also do collaborative housing and they believe in the peer-to-peer -peer model with collaborative housing. So I started telling this young woman and she, as I said, she has a car, you know, she came from a beautiful home. She was talking to me about a dog she had that's with her parents now, but I guess she had some form of mental illness. And then I was talking to the young man about collaborative housing, well, both of them, and they seem so earnest of wanting to go to their next level. And it's so interesting. I thought with that, I thought about the grief experience, how they may have some kind of mental illness or some kind of 
filter that may not get them to the next level in the life to function on living lives on life's terms or being able to be self-sufficient in a home like we all are in our warm beds in our apartments or homes or sharing a home with someone married you know living a functional life that we somewhat call normal and i thought you know the grief process I think all of us, if we're in severe grief or long-term grief, there is a mental health issue here that filters our lives that may not have us be as productive or may not have our lives as manageable as we'd like. I know myself with my mother and my father. I think until I did some grief recovery and I had some support and some guidance in it, I don't think I would have the life I have today. I realized in my grief recovery that I loved my parents so much in a deep way. I had this underlying fear, but that if I lost them, I used to say when I was a kid, I hope I go before them in this weird little childish way, because I knew the emotional pain it would cause me. Then I realized I was as getting older that I don't think I loved as deeply because I was afraid to love deeply because I didn't want to experience the deep loss I would experience and that I had experienced with my dad dying at 16 and my mother dying when I was 29. And I took me years. This is 29. I'm just in my early 60s. And I did grief recovery, the work I do, which is an educational modality with some therapeutic approach to it. And after I did that work, I tell you, my heart opened up. And now I'm in this awesome relationship that we're so committed to, and I'm free as a bird. And I'm wondering, you know, I wish everyone had the guidance that I had. And um, that brings me to our guest, Teresa Tomey. What I know about her, I've known Teresa for a long time. And what I've experienced with her, she's a writer, she's a director, she's a producer. Me, I need all kinds of energy around me to help move me along. I need peer-to-peer. I need different ideas to like, oh, to see what's possible. And I'm not saying Teresa's not like that, but she's a person I know who's very self-motivating, who could sit in her room and create and write and just things come out of her creative consciousness or infinite creativity, the pure potentiality of what could be in her creativity, storytelling and all that. I love that. And with that said, with her self-motivating type of personality, I also know that she has been guided too. She seeks out help on how to get to her next level. So let me tell you a little bit about Teresa Tomei. Teresa is co-founder and managing partner of Michigan-based Fubble Entertainment. She's a writer, producer, director, and performer. Her solo performance show, Warm Cheese, which we're going to talk about today, won Best Script at the United Solo New York, New York 2019. She is a two-time Emmy Award winner for the children's show, Come On Over, where she served as an executive producer and for her co-written, co-produced web series, Backstage Drama. In Grand Rapids, she has directed more than 20 plays for Actors Theater, Circle Theater, LLC Classical Theater, Jewish Theater Grand Rapids, and Heritage Theater. She recently worked with Ebony Road Players, directing Ann and Emmett, and will be producing and performing for Last Fest again this spring. Teresa is an active birder who is happily married to Fred Stella. She lives and works in both Los Angeles and Grand Rapids. Her show, Warm Cheese, which explores the topics of family dynamic and grief, is also available for booking. And the reason why I had Teresa on the show, one of the many reasons, is because of this show, Warm Cheese, 
Warm Cheese will not necessarily give you the idea of what the show is about, but I'm going to have Teresa tell you a little bit about where it came from and the process that it has taken her to get to her grief recovery. And it's always this ongoing transformation, transition into a more fuller and beautiful life, which I've witnessed that she has. So please help me welcome Teresa Tomei. We're so glad you're on the show today. Thanks, Teresa, for coming on. Thank you, Charlene. It's such a delight to be here. And thank you for your story up front. I can visualize where you're walking and what you're seeing and the path you're walking on because I know Los Angeles and that area very well. So it's, it's, I appreciate the journey that you've been on. So thank you for letting us all into that piece of your life. My pleasure. You know, there's powerful stories everywhere. And I think the stories change me. They change me. They give me a new perspective and a deepening of appreciation for my life, for them. I was in love with them. I'm going to go back there and help see if they followed through on the collaborative housing I was telling them about. So it gives me more meaning in life, in story. And that's one of the things I love about you is that you're a storyteller. Can you talk a little bit about your background? How we do this show is what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. It's like, what happened? You grew up in Grand Rapids. Your mother is a very major fixture in the warm cheese story, even if it's about family dynamics too. Can you start from there and tell us a little bit about what prompted you? What was your family like? And what did the grief process have to do with all this loss and maybe some trauma that you went through? Sure. Well, warm cheese is the journey to get to what it became started the day I woke up and decided I no longer wanted to hate my dead mother. And, but it's funny. <laughs> and it, it, it tackles that, that emotional journey with hopefully humor and warmth. And, you know, it doesn't shy away from the pain and the sadness of it all too. Cause that's kind of the home I was raised in as you deal with trauma and sadness and everything and grief and whatever it is you deal with it through hum- humor. So I woke up one day and really, but I didn't know what that meant. I just, I, my mom, had passed away a few years earlier, and I hadn't really grieved her passing. I, I was, I, I didn't understand what grief was. I kept going, so when do I grieve? What does this look like? And this is not, it, it felt foreign to me. And so I started to explore what that meant. I didn't know how I was going to get through it. I just knew that I needed to do something to get through it. And because I'm a writer, I sat down and I started to write. And that's what I do. I write. So, so I just started to when I first started to tackle this topic, I guess the very first thing I started to do when I started to write was I started to write this as a piece of fiction about a mother and a daughter. And I was very removed from it. It was about this woman named Nyla and her crazy mom and their relationship. And I'd write about it. And I, I found a writing class and I would take it to the writing class and, and they enjoyed it. The people that I was, you know, and they knew I was writing about my relationship, my dysfunctional relationship with my mother, but it just, it never felt quite right. And I, I actually have like over 200 pages towards this book that I was writing about my being raised by a neurotic control freak, chronically ill, drug addicted, <laughs> pill addicted mother. And, and it just never quite settled in. And then one day I, I was at a bar with a friend and he said, you know, Teresa, I really like it. And I'd sent him some of my stuff. And he said, I really like it when you just sit around and tell stories, your stories, tell your story. And that really shifted me. And I started to write my story. And so it went from being a fictional story to being a biographical story and autobiographical. And I, 
and I started to go on my journey and it was 10 years in the making, I think overall. I first presented pieces of it 10 years ago and over the course of time, ended up at this United Solo Festival and picking up the best scripts. So that was really amazing. And that's very vague. I'm not getting into the very specifics of the story. So uh, well, let me prompt you a little. Sure. Take me back to your childhood. What do you remember? And what was some significant trauma, like some detail, like you talk about in Warm Cheese and the dynamics that went with it, even your father, and because he died too. So you, we all have different experiences yeah. with grief with each individual. And each individual has a different experience of the relationship, whether mother, father, sister, brother, friends, their own individual grief. Can you go back and in time and what do you remember something that was significant that you never forgot i know one time i told my mother i hated her and because she took a pair of shoes of mine and i thought it was so unfair I just say i hate you oh. and she was just whatever we got into a fight and i still don't i have never forgotten about that and i had to go back when i was doing my work on grief recovery work can you go back to some instances well it's in, it's interesting because through the, through the journey of the show and through the journey of writing, what I came to realize is that one, I hated my dead mother more than I hated my live mother. And, and part of that was because, and I'll get to your question, but part of that was because the night of my mother's funeral, I found journals that she wrote to us as family members. Dear family, today I was diagnosed with a fatal liver condition and I will soon die. And then she went on to tell us everything that we did wrong as, as human beings. So, so my, my, pain and anger really grew. Out, I was having problems with her to begin with, but my pain and anger really grew out of that moment. So growing up, I mean, it was probably more of a typical mom-daughter relationship. It was tough. She was a tough nut. She was crazy. She made us do, you know, I talk about some of the weird things that we had to do growing up, the weird rules that she had in her house. And we'd have to, you know, she was obsessive cleaner. So we'd have to clean schnibbles off of you know, the pilly fibers that ball up on fabrics off of rugs and stuff like that. We'd have to pick schnibbles off of the rugs, you know, just things that as a kid, you know, are like, what are you nuts? You know, you, you, you realize this is, I don't know. I, I guess for me, I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't realize how obsessive she was. I just kind of assumed that most moms were like that, but, but my dysfunctional relationship growing up was really with my dad. I had a terrible relationship with my father and I probably said, I hate you a million times with him growing up. And I, and I had, uh, um, I, so for me, it was, I hate you, I hate you on a regular basis. But the difference between my mom and my dad for me was that my dad wanted to grow as a human being. And so when I was in my 20s, I said to my dad, I love you. These are all of the issues that I've had with you growing up. Can we talk about them? Can we deal with them? As a writer, I wrote everything down. I read him the letter and he was capable of having that conversation. I'm sorry, I hurt you, I love you. And so when my dad passed, there wasn't that baggage there. There was so much healing that took place. My mom, on the other hand, she said to me once, you know, I'd, I'd never go to a therapist because I'd have to just sit there and be told what a horrible person I was. Like, she was afraid of truth. She was, she, she was confrontation, unless she was the person doing the confronting. I mean, it, emotional issues were not something that she dealt with. So all of that baggage just kind of got left on the floor when she died. And 
So it wasn't until I started to go through this process, I was like, well, she's gone. She's not going to be here to help me heal. Does it take two people to heal? No. (laughs) And I'm like, well, and I'm a writer, so I can decide what my ending is. And I can... I can make the decision whether or not we're healthy on the other side of it. So I had to go through the healing process without her. But quite honestly, I think if she was in the body, we never would have been able to do it. So she needed to die in order. That sounds so horrible. But she needed to die in order for me to get to a better space. Bless her heart for kicking off. But that's, I mean, that's the, that's, that's what my journey has been. It's a little all over, but. No, it's, it's perfect. And going back, you're reading these journals. What was something that stung you in that journal that just surprised you or didn't surprise you? You know, it's it's so funny because when you, you know, I perform this. So I perform the show and I read and I have to go through and sit through the journal every night and think about and relive all those moments. And in some ways, it's like you with the shoes, you know, like your mom took a pair of shoes or whatever. I hate you. It's those moments are so significant for us. And one of the things that one of the things that was hard for me is I was raised by a woman who always saw the cup half empty. And so everything in life was a disappointment to her and everything in life. Her life was the hardest. Her life was the worst. Her life was the most difficult. She was the ugly. I mean, everything about her life was half full. And there was one moment in my childhood where I was asked to carry the baby Jesus down the down to the altar for Christmas Eve mass. And it was a very special thing. And I got to wear this, my mom actually made me a little crushed blue velvet dress. And it was one of the highlights of my, you know, eight years of life at that point. And that was one of the highlights of my life through throughout life. And I mean, I just remember because it was one of the few moments where I really bonded with my mom because my mom came from work and saw me. And I just, I felt like I'd done something holy and important. Well, in the journal, she said, basically, oh, and I just want to tell you about one of the worst nights of my life was the night that Teresa carried the baby Jesus down to the altar. And I couldn't, I had to work late because my office always kept me there late and I didn't even see her and my life is just horrible. And it was, it was such a, I mean, it's something so small, but it was such a gut punch to me in that moment because I thought you took away why did you have to take away one good moment in our lives? Like what, I mean, I think in the moment, and this is what I say in the show, I think what she was trying to do is she was trying to make us have sympathy for her or to feel, maybe to feel sorry for her, to look for sympathy. But in that moment, it felt like a very selfish act and I couldn't process it that way. And so I just got more angry with her. So that was one of the, that was one of the moments in the journal, you know, and then it was, what that? make it did she make it to watch you watch jesus no she didn't no no she never she said she was there but she had to sit in the back of the church and she couldn't even see (laughs) oh so i was thinking that she was so sad because she didn't get to see her daughter do it and it very well could be you know what i mean but it's like when you're in that moment you know it's we're all walking through our own journey so it's like i look back on it now having performed the show, having a better understanding of the relationship with my mom. And I'm like, can I read it? Th- one, can I look at it through a different filter? Like, can I, can I process this through a place of empathy for her? And then the other part of me says, do I need to? I don't know yet. You know, I mean, this is all stuff I'm still processing. And then here's the t- truly twisted part of me. If I heal that relationship with my mother, now that I've turned it into a show, 
how does that affect my performance? If I can't still find the anger and the hate in me, how can I make sure that people relate to what I'm going through? Well, it's called acting and I'm getting there. But I mean, it's it kind of messes with the healing process just a little bit. Um, yeah, I can see why. And it's, it's interesting. We all go on our roads to recovery, grief recovery, God willing. And another thing you did, you did your show. And it's so interesting that little um, observation of yourself, if you get to the other side, how is that going to maybe, what kind of loss are you going to have for your show? Will it have quite the impact? And, and talk about, it's so twisted and tight, like brand. I mean, my brand is I woke up one no day and no longer decided or one, you know, and decided I no longer wanted to hate my dead mother. So if I'm talking about how you hate somebody who you're trying to heal something, you know, this hate, and then I'm sharing how much I love my mom, it's a weird disconnect. Yeah, you have to go back there and be in that moment. So that's where the acting, the true the truth of acting comes in. So I'm sure you have to dig, dig deep for it. Also, besides the show, in the journal, your mother was from Grand Rapids, Michigan. She was a nurse, but she also went down Route 66. Can you talk about that in your healing process? Because you have a thing about Route 66. It's Can you talk awesome. about how that came through? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. My mother has provided me with so much good in my life by doing the show, by finding healing through it, by living the life that she lived. After she died, I found a journal that I didn't, or a, a scrapbook that I didn't know existed of a trip that she had taken with three of her girlfriends in the 1950s in a convertible from Grand Rapids, Michigan to Los Angeles, California. And she went there with the, with the sense of mind as she wanted to go live in California, in Los Angeles. Um, things happened, she ended up coming back but she kept a scrapbook and my mom was very secretive about her past. And so she, I never knew, I didn't know that this scrapbook existed. I knew there was some California stories. I didn't really know what they were, but her girlfriend spilled the beans and told us about them. Anyway, she, she had carried via postcards, all the places that she had stayed. So I recreated that route in hopes of, again, if there's a way I can bond with her, if there's a way I can connect to her, it's, it's constantly, on some level, it's as much about trying to get into her head as it is trying to get into mine. And the more I get into her head, the more I have my own realizations that this, this isn't her story. It's my story, even though it's all kind of wrapped in her story. But so I took her, her route and ended up in Los Angeles, California, and went there to live for probably six months. And it's been five years <laughs> left part-time yet. And I have a low maintenance husband who lets me live there, but I'm constant. I feel her presence. And that's part of the reason why I want to stay. I feel her presence. So maybe there's some guilt still wrapped up in the, in the anger that I felt from her. I mean, I, I was angry with her angry when she died. Uh, what was the main anger about? Like overall, if you were to say your anger, was it because she didn't listen because she's not the mother you wanted because she was cruel because she didn't help you I think she didn't let us in. She, she needed, she needed to be sick. She needed to be, she needed the glass half empty in order for us to feel for her, I think. And I just, I don't, I don't know. I haven't been asked that question. That's a good question. So I'm just kind of processing it as you're asking that question. 
you know, when she was dying on the way out, again, this is part of the show, she was in a coma, an induced coma. And I was trying to get her to squeeze my finger, you know, come on, mom, they said you're gonna hear me squeeze my finger. If you love me, squeeze my finger, squeeze my finger. And she and she didn't do that. And it's like, it's okay, I get it. She can't hear me, you know, can, can you hear me at all? No response, no response. And then the doctor came in and basically said, Mrs. Tomy, you're dying, we're gonna pull the plug. Is that what you want? And she was like, yeah, kill me. Like she, she had the wherewithal to allow him to make a decision so that she could die, but she didn't have the wherewithal to tell me that she loved me. That's the way I processed it. So she woke up a little bit? Oh, absolutely, 100%. The doctor was like, I was like, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Nothing, nothing, flatline. Doctor comes in, Mrs. Tomey, we need to put you on dialysis. We're gonna, in order to keep you alive. And I'm like, she's not gonna be able to answer. She can't, and all of a sudden she was like, "Mm -mm, mm -mm, take me out. And I was like, well, you got the strength to answer him to let you die, but you don't have the strength to tell me that you love me. And that's, and then you read these journals and the journals come, you know, kind of on top of that. But then I go back through those journals and I, now I can go back through them and I can go, oh, she says something really nice here, but I couldn't read the good in the journals when I was in that painful place. That filter. I couldn't read it because, and to me, and I, and it's still hard. And this is part of what I deal with in the show. What's still hard about it is it doesn't feel genuine. It feels, if, if you can write it on paper, why couldn't you say it to me in person? And these are questions I'll never get answered. So I have to make the answers for me. And I have to do it in such a way that releases that hate and anger in me, which I've been able to do. I don't feel that hatred or that anger anymore. I just don't. And, I, and I'm okay with saying that. I think if you see the show, you, you get the sense of where the journey goes. I get that there's disappointment that your mom had in you. How is that? Because I feel maybe, and I'm not trying to psychoanalyze you or anything, but that disappointment... <laughs> along with grieving that she had, that you felt she had with you or her life around you. Like she didn't have the capacity to like see you or respond to you. And then the kicker, the cherry on the cake is she doesn't squeeze your freaking finger, but she responds to the doctor. It's a hard moment. But again, I don't, I mean, I think in terms of looking back on it now, she just didn't have the capacity and it's, it's, we have to make a decision and we're constantly doing this. And you and I have had these conversations before we have, we can't control how somebody else thinks or how they process. And it's just the response is only ours and ours alone to make. And so again, I, as I was going through all of it while she was in the body, the last few, you know, she was chronically ill too. Okay. Chronically ill people, you know, there's two kinds, kinds you want to be around and kinds you don't want to be around. <laughs> she was a chronically ill person you didn't want to be around. I mean, she just, she was fierce. She was wicked. She was angry. She was angry at God. She was angry at everybody for giving her this life that she did. So if you were in, in the crossfires of that, but when I look through, you know, and I, and I get out of the filters and I go, okay, I go, she made me that dress. She made me that crushed blue velvet dress. That was her love language. Her love language was to make me think she made me my wedding dress. That was her love language. She's not going to say it to me. She's not going to. So I have to go, can I accept that that's all my mother was capable of? 
Yes. Well, I have to, I don't have a choice, but <laughs> if I want to not be angry. Right. And hurt people hurt people. Yes. So in understanding that part and on your recovery, because I know you've walked through this and I'm not saying that, you know, this is a, a lifetime journey, but I feel like you've got into a recovered part where you're able to talk about it without breaking down or going into a cocoon or getting depressed or not able to function. Can you help some of our listeners, like three little nuggets of simple things, because you are a writer, how does, you know, how did you, what would be simple things to write about? Like bullet points, how do you get into that space? Do you meditate before you start talking or do you keep a journal by your bed or anything? Like what is some of the, the tips you would, share with someone, whether they're creative spirit like you, who could just go and describe things in writing, what's going on, or somebody who is someone who needs prompts, what would you suggest? Well, certainly, I mean, like you said, everybody's grieving journey is different. And so for some people, that might be more of a painful, the trauma might be very painful that you need somebody to help you through that process, Charlene Gorzella. So, I mean, that that's an important thing to know about yourself. Um, but in terms of writing, I mean, there's so many different ways if you're, you know, you can, one, one of the exercises that I've done before unrelated to this, but is a great exercise is, is couches in my life. And you, you start to write down all the couches that have been a part of your life. And then all of a sudden, and then, and then you pick one of those couches and you write something, an experience that happened with that couch. And what comes to mind is we had this couch that had cushions on it and had slats and used it. My mom got it from the blood bank. So all of a sudden I can start writing about this couch that my mom got from the blood bank where she worked as a nurse and I can start writing a story that maybe doesn't have pain attached to it. So, so perhaps the process is just trying to find just different ways into those moments of your life that don't necessarily bring up all the pain of the experience first. Like for me, like I said, I started writing it as a piece of fiction. Mm -hmm. So I could write the pain from the outside looking in. It was somebody else's pain, even though it was mine. It was somebody else's pain that I was writing. And then once I realized I had mined that for everything that I needed, then I could start writing the more personal part of the story. And then I, then I started to bring it in. And then it was like, I felt this pain. I was grieved. I felt this. But I, for me, avoiding the painful piece of it was, was a smart way to start just kind of circling around the issue. And I think the biggest thing for me, too, is, as we know, you don't get sick overnight. You don't get well overnight. There is no timeline on grief. I started this project. I mean, my mom died in 2004. It's 2020. And I am just coming to the point where I can be loving about my mom in public and for some people that's that's a miracle <laughs> 16 year journey is a miracle so um so i think that's the other thing is just don't beat yourself up as you're going through the process it is it is the journey is not i'm you know i'm preaching to the choir now these are your words you know more about this process than i do but be kind to yourself as you're going through it. Let's say if you were to look back in retrospect, because you don't need to change anything or regret, I should have did it quicker, better, more, or whatever. There's unresolved grief and then there's resolve in your grief and there's incomplete in your grief and, and complete in your grief. If you were to advise someone, a good friend 
or a stranger, whoever that's going through grief, what maybe would you have done differently and have done differently now that you know? Oy, 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 oy. It's so interesting. That is such an interesting question. I feel like I'm grateful where I am in this moment today, sitting on this couch, talking to you. I wouldn't change anything for that reason because my grief journey has given me a lot of gifts, profoundly important life-changing gifts. I wouldn't have a life in Los Angeles if I wasn't angry with my mom (laughs) and didn't need to work that out. That said, where the family dynamic comes in is you create patterns in your family. And part of the family pattern that was created in my family, because my mom was so mean on occasion, especially to my dad, after she passed, my dad would say things that were really bad. And then we would pile on and there was a lot of piling on. So we piled on my mom a lot. Not all of us. There were, there's four siblings. Three of us had, were part of the, we call it the I hate mom club. And my sister Mary Kay wasn't. I think I knew that was happening and I didn't have the courage to break out of that pattern, even though I knew I didn't want to be in it. Even though I was angry with my mom, I didn't want to pile on. And I think you create that family, you play into that family dynamic. And I felt like if I, if I gave my mom any forgiveness, then I'd lose the love that I'd created, the, new, the newfound relationship that I created with my dad, that I would somehow create more of a separation between us. And I think that's, that's sad that I. Was that a bonding experience? Are you afraid? Oh, yeah. It? it was like part of this clan, part of this belonging and all that. Oh God. Yeah. We'd sit around and be like, Oh, who has the best worst mom story? Oh, mom treated me like crap the day she blah, blah, blah. And then we'd all laugh. And then my dad would say this and we'd all laugh. And you know, my brother would say, Oh, I remember when mom did this to me. And we, I mean, horrible stuff. And then of course we laugh because we're those people. But, but yeah, I mean, and then Mary Kay, she, she would be like, you guys, mom is the best. And we would all be like, "Mm, that's just Mary Kay. She doesn't, you know, whatever. But we've, we let her be that person because that's who Mary Kay is. I wasn't that person. I'm a cynical, comical. That's part of who I, that's part of my identity in my family. And I didn't know how to break out of that. So I, I guess, that would, that would be the only thing I don't, but again, had I done that, I don't know what, that I would have been where I am today. And that journey is in the right place for me today. So right. where your experiences, right. but, but in- I don't know if I, you know, maybe from a higher yogic perspective, a karmic perspective, I'd be more evolved had I had the courage to step out of that when I saw it happen. Oh, so you're saying, you know, sometimes in that story, in that hate or anger, maybe just step outside of it and just become the observer. Like you were saying, you wrote a story about this girl and her mother. It's like that third person. I remember sometimes trying to make a decision in my life and I just couldn't do it for myself. And someone said, well, what would you tell a really good friend to do if they told you that story? And I would go, oh, let me see. If a friend of mine was telling me this, I'd say if it was a bad relationship, get out of the relationship or whatever advice I would give. So sometimes just get off yourself and maybe do it in the second person or third person. And yeah, then 
not so emotional. You're not so filtered by it. In- interesting. You're, it really gave some really great insight. And I wanted to get you on because of your creativity and and your unfoldment through this. I know through the, you know, the, um, what's that street again? Which street? Route 66. <laughs> Dickinson? How do you know what street? <laughs> what's that road? The Road 66, Route 66, the warm cheese, everything else you've done. And I think you got your sense of humor just because if you didn't laugh, I think you would have died. And your family is very funny and they're all creative in their own special way. And I'll have that their certain paths. And thank you for sharing with us today. Thank you to my family for letting, they let me put our family dynamic and our family garbage out there, you know, and I really am grateful that my family recognizes that's Teresa's story. We lived a different story. That's Teresa's journey. And they let me do what I need to do. And I'm grateful for that. Yes, I had to do that with my sisters. I talked about some childhood issues. And before I preface it, and they were in the audience. And I said, my experience is very different than my sister's experience. So I'm honoring their, their experience and I need to communicate mine. So if someone is needing to express an experience about a family member, either do it confidentially with a really good person that you can, that you trust explicitly or a stranger or a priest or a therapist, or talk to your family and just say, I just need to share, preface it. I need to share my experience. I know you may have had another one. Can you just listen if they can? Sometimes they will, sometimes they won't, but at least you've given them the respect of that. And you set the stage to be able to talk a little bit more free, or hopefully they're willing to have the capacity to be able to get it. So that's how we're going to end the show is on that note. And Teresa, you are a joy. There's more of a bio on Teresa and some of the things she's involved in. Warm Cheese is great. There's a www.warmcheese.com. I know if anybody, she's done it in churches. She's done it in theaters. If you're in a grief group or something and you want something interesting, this would be such a beautiful show, one woman show that Teresa does that explores the grief and getting to that other side of it. And which is beautiful. It's funny too. Teresa's a funny gal. And then her Fubble Entertainment, she's got so many good things going on. And so glad again, thank you so much for joining us and in such appreciation for you and all of our guests. Remember, Grief Recovery Now is on all the podcast platforms. Love, love, love that we're doing this. And during this important time, I don't want to forget about coronavirus. This is a very dynamic time. And a lot of people are grieving through loss, anticipated loss. They have lost. So please, if you are ever in need to reach out to me, you are not alone whatsoever. Let me help guide you or steer you someplace that will help you live a life beyond your wildest dreams. We're right there with you. That's why we're doing this show. So we'll see you next time. Peace, love, and harmony. Hope you enjoyed the show. Please share it and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you, Teresa, again. Thank you. Thank you for joining our Grief Recovery Now journey. Like what you heard? It would be the biggest compliment to our mission if you would please subscribe, rate, and review Grief Recovery Now on Apple Podcasts. And we'll keep you posted on our next podcast. If you don't have Apple, we are also on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Also, please join our private Facebook group. 
Grief Recovery Now. And if you are in need of any personal attention, please contact me with the link on this podcast page, which is griefrecoverymethod.com forward slash G-R-M-S forward slash Charlene dash Gorzella. It would be an honor to hear from you.